Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum's fifth quarter for another week. I am Rana Hussain again, and I'm here with fellow Sanctum, Julia Kiera. Hello, Julia. Hi, Rana. How you going? I'm good. We are in the virtual pod studio together to talk about, as Emma Race did signal in the Wednesday episode, to talk about the happenings at GWS and this pride jumper saga. <laughs> I'm going to call it a saga because it certainly jumper gate. felt like that. Jumper gate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a weird one for us, isn't it? Because so when all this broke, I did text you as someone from the queer community who identifies as queer to say, how are you going? Are you okay? <laughs> and also as the Muslim in the group <laughs> to reach out to just, I don't know, I don't even know what I wanted to say when I texted you that day. I just wanted to say, hey, I know we're in a team together. We don't play mm. on a field, but we are in a team together. And how are you going? And you said, should we talk about it on the fifth quarter? So here we are. Yeah. And here we are. Having said that, I absolutely feel sick about having this conversation. Right? <laughs> because I know. Because there's so much to it. I've made the mistake of like reading the comments and seeing that people have had really full-on reactions to it that I feel like we're not going to represent. <laughs> Um, no. Because I think we're both <laughs> milling ab- about in this soup of greyness, which I guess is the Outer Sanctum's jam. But I guess the upfront disclaimer is, yep, we're just two people talking about our own perspectives that may represent the listener's point of view or may really not and may kind of drive you a bit silly with what we say. <laughs> um, but we thought <laughs> yeah. it would be a good time for just two people who, you know, are from these two communities. We're not from Sydney, so um, I guess we're not as pretty. <laughs> we're, we're really cultured. We're very cultured. <laughs> Should right, speak for straight myself off the bat, that. we've offended, we've offended <laughs> Sydney people. Sydney, that we are just two people from these two communities kind of talking about our impressions of what's happened and what we've taken away from it and what we can learn from it. And I think we probably, yeah, need to set some expectations for what this conversation is going to be. Julia and I are going to ask some questions to each other because we've had a lot of questions of each other, but also just more broadly, we're going to yarn on it and then we're probably not going to have any answers and 
that's okay. Mm. And we also want to acknowledge that there are voices missing from this conversation. You know, one that we have really kind of clearly identified is um, the voice of Muslim queer people who uh, really probably should be centered in this conversation. And I would say, if you can, jump onto Fahad Ali's Twitter account to hear his perspective. It's a really interesting take from him and he can speak really authentically to what it's like to be Muslim and gay and out. Highly recommend visiting his account and we'll make sure that's in the pod notes as well. Julia, I have a question for you. When this all dropped, when we first found out that Hanine Zerika wasn't going to wear the Pride jumper this past round, what were your first thoughts? To be honest, my first thought was, poor Hanine. I know that that is going to really annoy <laughs> some queer people, some people, all people, that that was my first reaction, but it was. I felt like it's it has the potential to be a bit of a social media pile on on her. She's a young woman. She's the first Muslim woman playing AFLW. She's also the first AFLW player in a Muslim community. She has already broken a lot of barriers. And so for her to kind of then have to wrestle with this is a lot for her. And that I worry that she'll always be known for this. Um, and that that's, mm. that's shit <laughs> to, to kind yeah. of make a decision when you're in your early 20s and to always be known for that when we know that you can change and grow and evolve and do all sorts of different things in your life. You wouldn't want the decisions of your early 20s to constantly be a reference point for people for you. So that was my first impression. But also, I, felt for the team, you know, I, I really wanted to know how the team was coping because, you know, Hanine is a part of that team and has been a part of that team for a long time. And so I don't think you can leap to the idea that she is homophobic. <laughs> you know, I've received texts about that, definitely seen it on social media, because I think that if you in your heart of hearts were homophobic, you just wouldn't choose to be in a team of AFLW players. You d I don't think you could stomach it. Like you couldn't, I don't know how you do it. So it is much more complex than that. What were mm. your first thoughts, Rana? My first thoughts were, oh God, here we go. Um, <laughs> I think for a long time I've thought this is coming for us, especially mm. us in the inclusion and diversity space, in inverted commas. There is always going to be that point where ideologies bump up against each other in a diverse society that is inevitable and I was just waiting for sport to have to deal with that and I, you know arguably we already have through Black Lives Matter as well but in this space particularly and for the W particularly I thought okay yeah we're gonna have this conversation now and I did think about Hanine and thought oh okay I did think that was brave from her. Um, I don't know if brave is the right word, but it takes courage to do something like that and to, to, yeah, to step aside in that moment. And I thought about you and her teammates as well and the people that I love who identify as LGBTQ and how they might be feeling. And I felt really, really worried, actually, very selfishly that they would now ask me, do you agree? <laughs> <laughs> that was like, do you yeah. not love me? Are you in the same boat? How do you feel about me? Like that was genuinely, I felt like, oh God, do I now? Kind of like when <laughs> Muslims were terrorists in the public mm. 
I I felt like I had to say to people, no, 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 I'm not violent. Mm. I'm not, I don't harbour any feelings like that or thoughts like that. I felt like I had to be very clear with people. Yeah, in this same, in this moment, that's also how I felt. The other thought I had about this was, because to your point around Hanine, and when I spoke to people at GWS, they said exactly the same thing. They said, if she was truly homophobic, and this was a evidence of that, she just wouldn't be playing. Like, mm. She just couldn't be in this space. So then I thought, okay, so what if this jumper, can't, she can't wear this jumper for reasons to be honest, she hasn't actually expressed really. She, the, mm. To the extent she's expressed it, she said that as a Muslim, you know, in, with respect to my community, mm. she's not going to wear the jumper. I was wondering, I guess the question I had in my mind was what does that jumper represent and mm. is it different to lots of different people or are we clear collectively on what it means to put that jumper on? Mm. Oh, I love that question, really, because that's what I've been thinking about and And you and I, when we were offline, we're talking about the performative aspect of all this and of the wearing of the jumper. I am, what, 99% sure there are probably other players who don't love wearing the pride jumper. Mm. I don't think there would be a huge amount, but I reckon there would be some that it's difficult for them to wear the pride jumper but they do it because in footy it's a team sport and you must comply. You absolutely must comply with what the team does. Mm. So going back to your point about it it being brave of her to not wear it, I I do think it is because she's going against the grain of what the team expectation is and she's risked a huge amount by doing it. Do I ultimately agree with the underlying idea that she can't wear it as a Muslim woman because ultimately – Mm. Islam doesn't love the gays. Well, no, I don't love that. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to pretend I do. But, no. um, you know, Islam is not alone in the major religions in not being super pro-queers. So let's just <laughs> put that out there. Um, yeah. Is it more important to us that AFLW players, staff, supporters feel that the League is an open, supportive place for for all people from all walks of life to participate. Is that more important or is you must all wear this jumper? Is that the important mm. bit? Because I I do think that the jumper is a performance. It's it's and to be cynical, it's it's a it's merchandising, it's it's a capitalist gambit to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> sell different jumpers. I understand it's symbolic and symbols are important, but there is something nice about the fact that she is part of a team and she does represent Muslim people in that team that also is is representing queer people, that those two things can coexist. It says more about where the community is at, um, mm. that we can coexist with one another and we may not agree 100%, but we're we're doing life together. <laughs> mm. That is where my head is at the moment. How much do, of ourselves do we have to give away or explain to each other to be friends, to be in teams? How much do we have to agree? And even when we disagree, how much of that do we have to actually talk about? <laughs> to to fight? like, there's a part of me that feels like. If you are functional and it's fine and you've got worked out a way to exist together with amounts of love and respect, does the rest of it 
matter on a day-to-day level because Mm. to me, looking at that GWS team, if this jumper situation wasn't an issue, they've seemed fine by and large, (laughs) like they've worked it out. I I do agree with you, Rana, but I think when when we say does it matter, I think for, for, for queer people, any person of any minority, you want to feel like the person across the table from you absolutely believes that you are mm-hmm. equal to them. You're, ma- you're yeah. not the same, but that you are equal um, mm. in God's eyes or in the government's eyes <laughs> or whatever you're, whatever you believe that you are equal. And I think we people carry baggage around uh, spending a lot of their time feeling like, yes, I do get on with my colleagues or my family or whatever, but ultimately I know in my guts that they think mm. I am less than. Queer people by and large are the only person in their family that's queer. So you start your life as the outsider. And for religious people that's in the most part not true. I know that Mm. people convert, but you're usually born into it. And so you as a family unit traverse the world um, together, whereas queer people already kind of feel that sense of rejection in in a lot of ways. And so Mm. finding your chosen family in the football club is a relief mm-hmm. and so then to feel like there's a wolf in the hen house who doesn't really believe it is triggering. I think that's triggered mm. a lot of people. And people are traumatised from the plebiscite and from having all of that come out in the open. And I think, you know, there's there's a part of us or me, I guess, I'm, I'm not speaking for the us, but there was a part of me that was like, okay, we're done. We've, we've done it. We've got the right to marry. We're we're done. Yeah. Um. And so, even though I know intellectually that's not right, so I think there's a level of exhaustion by the thought mm. that that there are still communities that we need to convince that we are. You know, we're on the level. We're cool. Um. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't need to be scared or worried or repulsed by us or think that we're going to hell or wh- whatever your version of hell is. Like, yeah, there is this feeling inside like oh god do we have to go back to having that conversation because I'm not ready I'm not ready Mm. to do it again I thought we did this I thought we can convinced you yeah yeah Yeah. you're so right in terms of like it's that difference between tolerance versus acceptance Mm. or affirmation and I think the pride jumper is very much a symbol as is the rainbow of safety like Mm. it's a kind of literally waving a flag saying this space is safe then for someone to then say well I'm not going to wave that flag Mm. is that then creating a or a lack of safety in an environment especially in a W environment that was kind of built on that safety Mm. and for some people I'm, I'm mindful that pride isn't entirely an inclusive movement when it Mm. comes to trans people and it's you know made great gains when it comes to people of color who are queer but yeah in terms of aflw it is a celebration and a marker of a safe space for women to play sport and also identify as they do and so i i can see how (laughs) and need to say well I can't wave that flag Mm. created a sense of fear and and harm I guess my that leads me to another question around safety so what you were talking about just then is we move through societies and we don't always society and we don't always feel safe and so there is that need to create 
spaces of safety for queer people. And actually, by the way, it resonates so much to me as a Muslim, that feeling of, are you just being nice to my face, but deep down you think I'm a terrorist or Mm, you think I'm backwards? My family talk about it all the time, Mm. Um, how you just, so yeah, for us, like we cultivate spaces that are safe for us as well. And I wonder then for queer people, what does that mean? And for the AFLW to be a safe space for queer people, does that mean that potentially other communities need to kind of take a backseat or need to think twice about participating in FLW, like what will harm the safety of that community and what does that mean then for the rest of us? Like should we, how do we make sure that that safety isn't harmed? I I don't know the answer. I I keep thinking, you know, why is it Hanine who's only wrestled with this? Like because, yes, you're right in that it is a safe space for queer women and non-binary people, but ultimately like there aren't any trans women playing in the league. You know, it isn't safe in in that respect. It's not inclusive in that respect. Queer players have, they've got allies mm. all through the team and they have had, I don't think you can underestimate, you know, even going back to year one, the fact that there were so many queer players meant that there was like, there was no option but to be out, right? Mm. Not necessarily every single person came out in that first year publicly, but like there was no question like who's going to be the first AFLW player. It's going to be who's going to be the first 30, you know, like. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that there is was such strength that could be drawn from that because no one was going to be the first on the front page of the paper. I remember that um, Sam Lane wrote an article about a couple who were playing against each other and it was, you know, posited as the first, you know, couple to play against each other. And I just, I thought to myself, they're not the first couple. They're just the first to give an interview. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's been plenty. If I was in the GWS team and and I'm definitely not, I've never played AFLW. I'm like a whole generation older. I think I could reflect on the fact that if I'm a queer player, I have so many queer players around me and we can support each other. And if we get trolled online, we can all, I have lots of people that are my allies who can share that experience and that there is someone in our team who is representing their community and they are alone. Mm. Um, I think I could work that out and relate to that and find empathy. I agree. Um, And I, I do come back to notions of power and who has it in any given situation. And I guess that's sort of what we're saying or what maybe what you're saying as well is that in this moment, and that's really in in the piece that I wrote in The Guardian was what I was trying to say. Like in this moment, while yes, deeply problematic for so many people, this isn't a position of power um, necessarily in that environment that Hanine was coming from. And so even if we do need to call her out, perhaps we think about how we do that and mm. in what way. And and call her in. You know, a lot of people, I'd also point to Brie Gorman's article, um, which I'll also put in the pod notes. She wrote about being deeply disappointed that Hanine didn't wear the pride jumper, but the need to call people in and model love and non-judgment because that's what as a lesbian woman, she asks others to do. Mm. So it, it, it was interesting. It was interesting in that way. I guess my fear as a as an onlooker of the AFLW is, is the growth of the game going to dilute the safety 
of the queer community within who or who feel it at the moment in the AFLW. So for example, GWS placed in Western Sydney have a really diverse population around them that they're trying to engage in sport. Hanine's own interests are engaging culturally diverse women to play sport, which is they are coming from so far behind. Mm. If they are successful in that and new and different communities start to come into this really beautiful environment of the AFLW that is so safe for so many people, will that dilute it? Um, It's going to dilute the percentage of queer people in it. Does that dilute the safety of it though? I don't Mm. know about that. It's so well established now that this is um, women and and non-binary people playing this sport. They've modelled how it can be done. Um, they've they've already, you know, we've already had the five years of of footage of women crashing into each other, um, tackling mm. each other, kicking snaps around the body. The, the shock of all that imagery. You've got to go back like five or six years. Like the shock for the mm. audience to just see that for the first time blew people's minds and really shifted an expectation of what women's sport could be, what women were capable of. I feel like that that is a big legacy um, already mm. and that is part of shifting people's uh, mindsets about how women can be involved in sport. Now, in the same breath, I would say that for some people representing all sorts of different communities, seeing women play sport like that pushed them further away from it mm. because it really did challenge their own ideas of what a woman is and how a woman should be and was not something they they were really wanting to do or wanting to reinforce or wanting to introduce. So <laughs> it's hard. This is all mm-hmm. hard stuff. Like I <laughs> but I think that for the, you know, all the little young girls who who watch AFLW and go, that's amazing. I never knew I could do that. I want to do that. I still think that there are people who watch it and go, I don't want that for myself or I don't want that for my daughter. Mm. And still people that know that there are so many queer people in it and and also think I don't want that for myself or I don't want that for, for my daughter. Like th- that homophobic belief is still out there. I feel like I need to name the absolute difficulty that I think everybody's felt with this, just the how hard it is to wade through every angle of this. Like I can feel it even in to us talking now, like I can see our minds ticking over. Who am I offending? How did that sound? I want to have <laughs> this conversation with you and be really authentic and upfront and, and really challenge myself and ask questions that I'm, I don't know if are okay to even ask. But I, I, I not feel, okay question. <laughs> I feel so sick. Like mm. I feel sick in even having the conversation and it's very, very like I've spent not that this is about me, but I just want to name the difficulty that I feel everybody is going through in trying to grapple with this and that there is no clear answer at the end of the day. Ask me a not nice question. Okay. So, Rana, I'm going to ask you a question that I feel ill asking, but I'm going to ask mm-hmm. it because uh, reading a lot of the comments, this was something that kept coming out mm. in that I believe that being gay or queer is not a choice, mm. but the choice to be religious is a choice. Do mm. you think being religious is a choice? Yes. I think my answer to that is yes, it is a choice because it needs to be. I think faith is an active 
choice that you make. I think with some of us are born into faith and then at some point we do, it's probably on us to choose it, to mm. continue to choose it. But what I will say is that when you are born into it, especially if you are coming from a family and a culture that is steeped in it, that is your blank surf. Like that is the neutral that you start yeah. from. Mm. So then to either opt out of it or evolve in it, it's never fully gone, I don't think. Mm. Is your question coming from a place of, you can't discriminate against something that isn't a choice. Like, Well, I guess the argument has been made, and I, being devil's avocado, um, <laughs> is that the queer people don't choose to be queer, but someone does choose to be Muslim, and therefore her not wearing the jumper is a choice on a choice against people mm. who don't choose to be queer. Yeah. That's what people are saying, and that's why they feel particularly hurt by it that it seems so purposeful you know several kind of moves have been made by her mm. to therefore slap the face of her teammates as you know mm. uh, figuratively so that's that's an argument that's there and I got text messages yesterday when um Emma Race had said that we were talking about this like people who are like wanting me to kind of raise that point however like my I I wouldn't make that argument because I did grow up in a religious house and so mm. I know what it's like to be in a conservative environment where homophobia is the norm homophobia is the neutral position even though I I hate it um mm. and it you know caused me damage I also expect it in a lot of ways. It doesn't shock me. And so mm. I think that's why I have come to this kind of weird feeling and why my initial reaction to Hanin was poor Hanin was even though I, you know, am not Muslim, I did grow up mm. in a religious house where where the same thing would have happened. And I think the question must be raised about why are there no other like firmly religious people of other religions in AFLW? Are Muslim people the only big religious group making inroads into the AFL <laughs> and that other so major religions, people who, who you know, are, I guess more orthodox in their belief, why, why aren't they more obviously known uh, in AFLW? Because if they were of any of the major religions, they would have made the same choice, surely. They're it's not such a good question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good question and part of the answer for me is a, a lot of the time, our Muslimness is so visible. Like we are visible. A lot of us are visible all the time by our names, depending on what culture we come from, by the way we look. You know, for me, it's my hijab. We are, <laughs> we are just visible. So I think there's an element of, well, we're here. You know, you can see us more clearly. Whereas I, I do find other religions, people from other religions are a little bit more underground. Mm. But also, I think religion, put aside Islam, religion in general in this society is on the decline, I think. I think that that's, that's right. Yeah. I don't see people, you know, growing up, it's so interesting growing up when you listen to the really orthodox preachers that always talk to you about, you know, think about how you're going to, you're going to, as young Muslims, you're going to come up against Christianity or Judaism. But the reality <laughs> is not that anymore. <laughs> So it was. It's always been like made me laugh because I think uh, I, don't think that, <laughs> I think we're actually like if anything probably got the same 
It remind, it always reminds me of that scene in Sex in the City. Let me diverge for a moment. <laughs> sure. When um, Miranda's going to the Catholic Church for her son's christening, mm. and she is like negotiating the terms on which he will be christened, mm. and she doesn't want to denounce Satan, <laughs> and she <laughs> she as the lawyer she negotiates the terms and Carrie in the voiceover says like a single woman in New York the catholic church can't be too picky or something <laughs> so, <laughs> i always mm. think about religion in that way now mm. like if religion was a business which for, i think for a lot of people it is it's got a real problem it's got a real growth problem anyway mm. i digress would, it would have got job keeper the thing that i keep thinking about is If you are religious, the idea of homosexuality, queerness, same-sex relationships is in the same category as gambling or alcohol or sex before marriage or, I guess, you know, vices. Mm. Uh, It's not about identity, a human Mm. identity. And so when you're thinking about it in that way, I think for a lot of people who follow religion, they can say things like, I love you and I honour the humanity within you and I I can embrace you as a person in my life, but I'm not okay with the act or I'm not okay with this part of you. But it's very separate from, it's like saying, you know, I don't like that you're a gambler, mm. but I love you as a human being and I would never, you know, harm you or hurt you or and I'd still want you in my life. It's coming from that place. So you can You'll often hear people with religion speaking about this issue in that way. Yeah, love the sin or not the sin. Yes, exactly. Mm. And But for queer communities, it is about identity and it is about who you are fundamentally. And so those two ideologies are just never going to meet. No, they're, they're always going to clash. They're kind of. They're just two separate ideas and I kind of get that. I kind of get that idea that being gay is a vice. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so, like, I'm sorry I even put no, it in no, those no. terms. I, but. What I get about it is that me choosing to live an openly gay life is a choice. It is a behaviour. Mm. I didn't choose to be gay. I didn't choose to desire women. That happened to me. <laughs> but the choice to live a gay life is definitely one that I make. So I guess the clash for me is for me to be accepted by religious people, I need to choose to be unhappy. Mm. And so that's unacceptable. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I think it's a really good question that we in sport need to consider. And I suppose that's the other thing. I came at this from a how would I handle this in my job as an inclusion and diversity 
you know, manager or specialist. And I think we need to consider what are our demographics, just like we do when we think about people of color. Do we want other communities, not just religious, but yeah, do we want Trump supporters? Do we, (laughs) you know, like, and if we're not attracting them, why? And are we okay with that? And we might be okay with that. Like, even in my question to you around, if there are more people coming into AFLW, will that hinder the safety? And I know that you know, more people being in, it doesn't mean that they can't then be educated and and brought along. But there's a part of me that goes, if different opinions and ideologies are not okay in certain environments, maybe that's okay and we just need to be able to say that. Mm. Because I think what happens is, let's be clear, like religions, orthodox religions are not okay with queer people Mm. and with homosexuality like it's it's very binary and it's about heteronormativity and so if we understand that then we have to I feel like as a society really ask ourselves to what degree are we accepting of that Mm. or is the level that we can operate on tolerance I think there's a subtext to to that that idea that okay well we're just going to accept that your major religion is homophobic and you're the royal you're um is is homophobic and that I'm you know not homophobic and that just by us doing life together I'm slowly going to convince you that it's wrong Mm. and you in your head think that's cool I'm slowly going to convince you that (laughs) you're wrong and we both think that we're going to win um Or that we're that, that change is going to be made. And look, to be fair, I think that progressive causes have slowly won <laughs> over time. You know, women can vote. Um, <laughs> Aboriginal people are no longer considered fauna. You know, like it, it, this has slowly happened. However, we know that there have been huge backlashes to that. You only need to go into the city on a Saturday to see that, you know, <laughs> people are still protesting yeah. stuff that, you know, wouldn't necessarily be classed as progressive. So I, I take that with a grain of salt. But I, I think that that's part of it too. Like we we both slowly think we're going to convince the other mm. people of it. People of it, and and to be real in my life, like I, I just feel like the only time that minds have been changed is just in that one-on-one way. Mm. You just get to know me, and over time, y- your mind will slowly be changed, and it won't be changed in in one conversation. It won't be changed because you felt forced to wear a pride jumper. That that will slowly happen. I did want to talk a little bit about. <laughs> How we truly create inclusive spaces when when the ideologies are different and they clash, they just do clash up against one another. And I was thinking about the um, men's ashes, where mm. in the final, you know, that Australia had won, and they were doing their little presentation on the dais, and all the champagne was out, and then Usman Khwaja had removed himself from that mm. from that celebration because there's alcohol there, and I think it was was it Pat Cummins who kind of put the alcohol away so that Usman could come in for the photo. And everyone was like, oh, that's so amazing. That's so thoughtful. And in my head I was like, the thoughtful thing is not having f***ing champagne. Yes. This is a, there's only 12 <laughs> people in this team. Like, and yep. one of you, a 12th. A hundred percent. So why funny, is it so it? thoughtful that he had to remove himself from his freaking, you know, premiership photo, whatever you call the ashes, the photo, the, the winning photo. And you had to like remember in the moment that what you were doing was actively excluding someone. 
However, if I use that same argument with this pride <laughs> jumper, like we shouldn't have a pride jumper because one person can't wear it, well, then my whole argument falls down. <laughs> this is the thing. I had the exact, I went in the exact same mental loop as you. Mm. I just went, oh, okay. <laughs> if that's how I feel about that issue, but I can't apply it in this case because of what pride meant. Like, I think the other thing that reminds me, so Tanya Hosh uh, spoke to the W podcast on the ABC about this. So one of the things that I discovered in this was that an option was put forward for Hanine to play, but just wear the usual jumper. God, like a scarlet letter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think that they would have gone down that option because it perhaps would have been even more, (laughs) I don't know, just highlighter. That would have been, yeah, it would have been odd. But some people I've I've seen on Twitter, some people have said real inclusion would have been just to let her play. Mm. And it turns out that the AFL have a rule that just a blanket rule across all teams that you have to all wear the same top Mm, all the time. And Tanya said in that interview with the W that in the process of discussing this, they're now looking at those uniform policies and going to have a think about what does it mean and what, what do blanket rules like that then do? Because perhaps for her, a line the line might have been a rainbow ribbon or socks, mm. but not the jumper because maybe that is too active a thing for her at this moment. You know, the pressure on her from her own community potentially, maybe there's a line there for people and, and we need to create more room for it. My only worry with that is that, Again, what does that say for LGBTQ communities? Mm. And, I, and I just come back to I just am desperate to understand what does wearing a jumper mean because I listened to Faye Newton speak to Joy FM and she said to her wearing the jumper is just saying, yeah, we're with you and we don't believe that you deserve any discrimination and we will, you know, stand by you in that. Mm. And if that's what the pride jumper means, then potentially Hanine wears it. Like I I guess I just don't know where the line is and I've been using the example of taking a knee in talking about this but even that I don't think is comparable because to me, you know, in my role at cricket, I've been asked a number of times whether, you know, the team should really have a a position on taking a knee Mm. as much as I would like for people to – take a knee Mm. and be conscious of the racism that exists in the world and discrimination, I advise that they don't unless it's something, a position that they come to individually and Mm. to create room in the team for difference of opinion in that. Now the team came together and decided, okay, when the opposition will take a knee, we will too out of respect. But, you know, my advice was each individual has to come to it with their own consciousness of the issue. That's right. Otherwise it's a performance. It's an empty performance. And I was thinking about Free the Flag mm. and, you know, those T-shirts that started being worn during, you know, warm-ups for AFL and AFLW teams. And, you know, that movement is fantastic and it's achieved the desired outcome um, for most people. But 
there were times where I would see players wearing that T-shirt in little photo shoots and little promos and I was just like, that looks empty to me. I don't feel like you are actively engaging with this issue at all mm. or that you are only engaging with the issue of the flag itself because to you, it you know, you, you never even realised it had a copyright and it seemed kind of bizarre and yeah, you're like, yeah, that is unfair. But uh, larger issues around equality for Aboriginal people you are not engaging with at all. So to mm. me it just felt so performative and I guess it, it just speaks to the, the, the teaminess of, of of footy clubs and footy teams that, you know, it's fitting or f*** off. We've all decided to do this so you're in or you're out and there's no grey. That is empty. Like the teaminess of a team needs to be we all uh, understand our game plan. <laughs> we all understand no yeah. one person is import- more important than the other. We all have a role to play. We all, you know, blah, blah, blah. But we don't all need to think the same. And we don't all need to do something together if we don't really believe in it. I just find it as an empty gesture. And I'm going to put this on record, even though I could get this makes me seem like a callous <laughs> bitch. But at the end of last year, the Carlton Football Club, so Sam Doherty, co cap, was co cap then, has cancer. And all the players decided to shave their heads in solidarity, mm-hmm. right? And it started as like one player was going to do it, and then another player, and then another player. And then, then basically every player shaved their heads right and there were so many social media posts about it and so many stories about it and it made me feel ill it just made Mm. me feel ill I just felt like there is a man who has cancer who's fighting for his life and you are all making it about yourselves you are all pretending that this is some huge sacrifice to shave your Mm. one inch hair back to a a number one like shave your pubes and pluck out your eyebrows and then (laughs) then you've done something I'm sorry, it made me feel ill, but it was just a, such a big illustration of like the team performance. We are all one. Yeah. Like it doesn't mean anything. I just find and it so empty. That, okay, so what you just said, <laughs> I guess that that is so important because I guess the question I'm asking is the work that Hanin has done to play in this team alongside queer players, to be friends with them, to embrace them as human beings. That's the work. Yeah. Is that less important now than Mm. her wearing the jumper on that one day? No. And in the eyes of the public, it's felt like for her to wear the jumper was more important or is more important. And it's just not. I think – how can she represent both communities well by wearing the jumper? She can't. Can she represent both communities well by being a generous, respectful person who is part of her team in all the ways that matter? Can I read you something from Fahad Ali's article, which is had published in the Overland? And I did speak to him ahead of writing my own. And it was a really interesting conversation and he writes a lot of what we discussed together. He wrote, In an environment where queer rights are not respected, visibility is a protest. Coming out or making one's queerness or allyship visible is a political act. This is why I insist upon centering queer Muslims in the discussion and why I felt the need to write this article in the first place. While coming out may not be advisable or safe for many people, those of us who have made the journey are in a unique position where we can challenge hegemonic power from within. Okay, this is the bit I really want to point to. Zrika's self-imposed invisibility gives us a better sense of the meaning of her choice 
place to sit at the pride round, not homophobia, as some have assumed, but instead a reluctance to engage in what could what would constitute an act of protest within the Muslim community. Mm-hmm. She's well within her rights to make that choice. To do otherwise would present risks that neither her teammates nor those sledging her on the internet would have to face. Why should she have to go it alone? And more importantly, why should she have to take on that burden when she's already engaged in another kind of rebellious visibility, that of a Muslim woman playing a public sport? Yeah. And I've spoken to two gay Muslims in thinking about this and both of them have said, I don't read that as homophobia, Mm. which is so interesting to me. Yeah. I find it, I find that in itself really fascinating for them. They went, yeah, nah, I get it. Mm. She might not be homophobic, but there's probably other stuff going on. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, we've spoken about safety and, and we, I don't know what wearing that jumper would mean for her, you know, an emotional safety or, or any of the other sorts of safety. Like that's that's a big thing to really consider. But you're right. Like why does it fall upon her to, to by wearing the jumper, protest her own community when she's already fought her way into to doing so many non-conforming things by playing multiple mm. sports. It's a lot. It's a lot. And that's why it just felt so unfair to to make her a lightning rod for this um, when she is the only one, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Her teammates do have solidarity amongst each other. Uh, Fahad also talks about the idea of being, you know, the good Muslim that you, mm. you know, assimilate into a liberal world and that you bring the bits that people find cute, you know, nice food, being friendly, nice <laughs> songs, uh, but all the other bits that progressives don't like you leave at the door. Now, that's not inclusion. It is more complicated, but, yeah. I also realised in thinking through this that I don't really know what a safe space is for me mm. because I'm so used to walking through the world in either the Muslim community where I often find sexist attitudes and mm. culture that I don't necessarily subscribe to, not the not necessarily even faith-based, but just kind of the cultural elements of some of our communities that can be quite sexist. And then I walk through non-Muslim environments where I don't feel like I can bring all of myself, like you say, because there is a, a degree to which I find progressive left politics able to embrace me as a Mm. Muslim so I don't actually know what what safety is and I'm very used to living in environments where I feel I'm tolerated not accepted so to me I go that's probably all we can expect from the world is Mm. largely tolerance and sometimes acceptance with people who who love you and so I I think that's why I defaulted to maybe we expect too much of each other and what is reasonable to expect of a society where there are clashing ideologies Mm. and that's sort of what I was trying to kind of raise in in what I did right in the end the other thing I wanted to point to in what I wrote particularly was just how well the JWS team have handled this. The maturity of that team to grapple and to still continue and to move on and focus on footy and then win, by the way, Mm -hmm. by all accounts, the maturity of that team to sit with the discomfort of this on all sides has been exemplary. And that was the real story to me, that we can do it, that it's hard, but we actually can do it. So Rana, what has always been apparent to me about you 
is you are Muslim, but you also are very pro the queers. (laughs) (laughs) I know I am. (laughs) (laughs) And how did you arrive at that and what has been your experience with that? Thank you for the question, Julia. Uh, (laughs) I think for me, in sport in particular, and definitely probably stems from my role as an inclusion and diversity specialist, it comes from my deep belief that sport should be for everybody and that if people want to play sport or belong to a sporting club, they should feel like they can and they should feel like they don't have to change who they are to do it or be themselves fully. And so when I, and that kind of stems from my own desire to belong, when I thought about that, I thought, well, if I want that for myself, I need to also be able to advocate for that for everybody else. And so to me, it's about creating environments of belonging. And so so then at Richmond, um, we started to talk about what, you know, what are we doing for queer communities? And we started to talk to Midsummer and I was in the position to lead that conversation. And the more and more I did it, the more I felt like it made sense to me through the prism of sport. But I also felt like I had to kind of hide that from my community and in particular my family in terms of like I just didn't talk about it with them or I didn't really advertise to them that side of my work. I definitely got a lot of questions about it and a lot of discomfort from family and friends. But I felt like for me what was important that was that Richmond the club be inclusive of everybody and I felt like Basha was creating an environment where the Muslim community felt like they could turn to. I I could see that, you know, Richmond weren't really talking to queer communities and so it felt really comfortable on that level for me to do that. But it was the most active I think I'd ever been really (laughs) when it comes to pride and I have to say it was a really difficult thing for me to navigate as a Muslim woman and a very visible Muslim woman. It was very hard and it still it's still not okay for some people in my community. Oh, well, I don't think we got any answers then. <laughs> Probably a lot more questions. Before we go, I'm just going to say thank you for doing this and forgive me if I've said anything that was hurtful or offended. It was not my intention, but I just want to put it out there because I feel like we were all both tiptoeing around a million different miles. <laughs> Uh, Are you talking to me or the audience? (laughs) No, I'm the same. Thanks for doing this and um, thanks for listening, everyone. I don't think there's any clear-cut answers, but that's why you come to the Outer Sanctum, isn't it? (laughs) We definitely sat amongst the grey then. Thank you so much for listening and we will be back again next week with another ep and fifth quarter. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.